friendly to sports. Vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> International banking, diplomatic cables, nuclear missile launch codes all rely on unbreakable encryption. What if these codes were no longer secure? That nightmare scenario seems to be a reality. A shadowy underworld syndicate is auctioning off access to the world's encrypted secrets. The only plausible explanation for this ability? Someone has achieved the holy grail of code-breaking, quantum computing. Veteran CIA agent John Clooney must track down the perpetrators and retrieve this technology for the U.S. government. And it's personal, as the Enigma brokers have already cost the lives of his fellow agents, perhaps including his partner. John Wessex's The Enigma Brokers is the first book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! $4.99. I was just leaving the theater. <laughs> 1969 gold Cadillac with the white material. I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in it on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Looking big splits and cruising. Saturday, ninety two. On the freeway. Good feeling. Hello, Blake. Henry. Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your um, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Has John Clooney's friend and ally become a dangerous enemy? Private investigator Anton Gruber has been CIA agent John Clooney's trusted aide. Clooney may have questioned Gruber's taste in cuisine, but never his loyalty, until Gruber double-crossed him.
Escaping with his life, Clooney is sidelined while his superior attempts to discover how Gruber was compromised. The investigation delves into Gruber's astonishing past, from his unpleasant days as an East German border guard to life as a narcotics agent, from his time in the tango clubs of Buenos Aires to a trip up the Amazon in search of Nazi gold. John Wessex's The Prague Deception is the third book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission a leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff talk to under go to skinonskins.com that's s-k-i-n-o-n-s-k-i-n-s.com you just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket He'll put the zipper back in. Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. Volunteer for the San Francisco Food Bank. The San Francisco Food Bank relies on volunteers like you to help sort, package, and distribute healthy food to people in need in San Francisco. Each year, over 22,000 people contribute thousands of hours to fighting hunger in our community. The support will enable the SF Food Bank to distribute 43.5 million pounds of food this year, enough for 93.000 meals every day. But they can't do it without volunteers. Visit www.sffoodbank.org 
www.sffoodbank.org/volunteer. Again, www.sffoodbank.org/volunteer to find out how you can help. CIA agents. Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. Design for every need. So go now to 
www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirates. And I started to do some thinking. Around in it on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday, noon to two. On the freeway. Good I am a total fan of Lori Stanley's voice is absolutely right. I am petty, various, and adolescent. And I will cut the damn shit. Henry! Yeah, Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your, uh, Chief Nurse Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Has John Clooney's friend and ally become a dangerous enemy? Private investigator Anton Gruber has been CIA agent John Clooney's trusted aide. Clooney may have questioned Gruber's taste in cuisine, but never his loyalty until Gruber double-crossed him. Escaping with his life, Clooney is sidelined while his superior attempts to discover how Gruber was compromised. The investigation delves into Gruber's astonishing past, from his unpleasant days as an East German border guard to life as a narcotics agent, from his time in the tango clubs of Buenos Aires to a trip up the Amazon in search of Nazi gold. John Wessex's The Prague Deception is the third book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. (laughs) 
Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission a leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff? Talk to Under. Go to SkinOnSkins.com. That's S-K-I-N-O-N-S-K-I-N-S.com. You just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather? Go see Under. Everything is handcrafted and understated quality. Fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs. He also does fixes. Maybe you love that jacket. He'll put the zipper back in. Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com. At 20th and Mission, check him out at SkinOnSkins.com. Volunteer for the San Francisco Food Bank. The San Francisco Food Bank relies on volunteers like you to help sort, package, and distribute healthy food to people in need in San Francisco. Each year, over 22,000 people contribute thousands of hours to fighting hunger in our community. This support will enable the SF Food Bank to distribute 43.5 million pounds of food this year, enough for 93.000 meals every day. But they can't do it without volunteers. Visit www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer. Again, www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer to find out how are already dead. A shadowy group of killers for hire is eliminating world leaders, crime lords, and CIA agents. Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers, is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it? on Amazon.
Lord, you have put your hand on this town. Morning, everybody. Start out with a national anthem. Lift every voice and sing Our God, where we met thee, 
I'm singing, brother, know that is true. If you're black, you got to work for a living. Here's what people will say. If you're white, you're all right. If you're brown, stick around. If you're black, oh, brother, get back, get back, get back. I was in a place the other night. They were having fun. They were drinking beer and wine, and me, I couldn't buy none. If you're white, you all right. If you're brown, stick around. If you're black, oh, brother, get back, get back, get back. Private office, got my number and I fell in line. They called everybody's number, but they never did call mine. If you white, you alright. If you brown, stick around. If you black, poor oh brother, get back, get back, get back. Me and a man working side by side. This is what it meant. He was making a dollar now, and I was only getting 50 cents. If you white, you all right. If you brown, stick around. If you black, poor oh brother, get back, get back, get back. I helped you build this country. I fought for it, too. Now I guess you can see what a black man's got to do. If you're white, you're all right. If you're brown, stick around. If you're black, poor oh brother, get back, get back, get back. Help to win this victory with my plowing hoes. Now I just want to know what you're going to do about the Jim Crow. If you're white, you're all right. If you're brown, stick around. If you're black, poor oh brother, get back, get back, get back. Takes 
Okay, and welcome everybody. Good morning to a special truncated version of Labor and Love Radio. We'll be with you right up until about 11 a.m. Then we'll put on uh, an earlier Labor and Love show for the last half hour, and then you'll be welcome to Flat Black Plastic by Scott Walker. This is Mutiny Radio. We're here at 2781 21st Street. And every Sunday, Saturday, getting ahead of myself, every Saturday we bring you a program of labor history, labor commentary, labor opinion, labor what's going on right now in the world of work and unions, along with music of social significance. Started out today with that set. We in, we had uh, Bruce Springsteen <clears throat> and a song called Factory about uh, people who are out of work and how empty, as a matter of fact, their lives have been. Albert Camus said, uh, when work is soulless, it's just a way to die. Hopefully having good work. Um, <clears throat> before that, we had Big Bill Brunzi singing, if you're black, get back. If you're brown, stick around. And before that, we had a beautiful version by a group called Committed with Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem. Every, every uh, show this month, we play a different version of that song. It was a beautiful a cappella version of Lift Every Voice and Sing. Well, what's happening? What's happening? <clears throat> War is happening. The most egregious, the biggest lie that's told to us, along with things like the economy and things like unemployment, is war. War, where young people, young working people mostly, are sent to fight against one another for the sake of they're leaders. They're money people. And that's what's happening now in Ukraine. Another problem that was just kicked down, down the road. Russians say Western powers promised them that Ukraine would never be part of NATO. The Western powers say that that was never written down and Putin is, in effect, invading another country. And actual bullets are being shot and people are getting killed. After thousands of years, people are still fighting. What does that have to do with labor, you might ask? Well, who goes to fight the wars? By and large, 
Is it the uh, children of the well-to-do? How many Congress people's children, men and women, served in Vietnam? Maybe some did, but it's certainly not as large as the number of working-class people who fought in Vietnam. Tend to overlook these things, huh? So, what have we got for you today? Well, as I say, it's going to be a truncated show. I did want to play Radio Labor, our regular Labor feature. And here we go with that. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, February 25th, 2022. I'm Mark Bolanchi. In the report this week, a union call to help African workers get vaccinated. The right-wing attack on unions in India. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. When the union's inspiration through the workers' blood shall run. There can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. Yet what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? But the union makes us strong. This is Radio Labor. There are 1.3 billion people in Africa. Only about 11% of them have been vaccinated against the effects of COVID-19. Meanwhile, the European Union is withholding vaccines from the continent, vaccines which will soon expire. To find out why this is happening, I talked to Sani Baba. Mr. Baba is the Regional Secretary for Africa and Arab Countries for the Global Union Public Services International, the PSI. I reached Mr. Baba in Nigeria and asked him about the situation in Africa and about the EU's withholding of vaccines. In Africa, we do not have enough vaccine supply and also for the vaccination of the entire people. So it is estimated that over 200,000 people have died in Africa uh, since the beginning of the COVID and almost 7,000 a day due to low vaccine supplies. We have over 11,365,000 infections. About 11% of the people have have received their first job, which is very clear to show that more than 80% uh, of the population that we are yet to receive their first dose, we are very much affected, and um, it's, it's very worrisome. Why is the withholding of soon-to-expire vaccines by the EU happening? We have many African countries that do not actually have the facilities to keep these vaccines safely. So really, I think um, this could be probably due to the reasons why they felt uh, it's necessary to actually uh, withhold uh, some of them, uh, instead of supplying them to Africa, uh, they decided to actually uh, waste them, something like that. So really, this could be the reason attributed uh, because of these factors. The international labor movement has been arguing that one of the ways to help Africa and other regions that are struggling to get enough vaccines is to implement a TRIPS waiver. What is a TRIPS waiver? First and foremost, we should understand what the TRIPS actually stand for. 
for people to understand before we move even to the waiver. This is a business term that it, it stands for trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights. Uh, so these are property rights kept only to the European Union and other countries outside the EU. And then, of course, when you are talking about the waiver, you are now talking about um, waiving certain rights so that if these rights are waived, and Africa will have the right to produce its own vaccines. Then we have also other regulations waived so that at least Africa can move faster in also taking care of some of its needs, like a provision of a face masks and other protective air. So this is exactly what we're talking about. And the tree waiver also has the potential to clear the pathway other health technologies for the COVID. And also beyond the COVID, we also have other diseases uh, like malaria, Ebola, Lassa fever, and even um, polio. So these are the rights that really we in Africa are calling for them to be waived so that we have the right and also um, the ability uh, to manufacture some of these vaccines. What do you think countries and the European Union should do to help Africa? Well, they should do everything possible to support and also implement a global roadmap to fully vaccinate 70% of the people by mid-2022, by mid of this year, then they should also be able to maximize the production of safe and effective vaccines and other COVID-related products by suspending relevant intellectual property rules and ensuring that the mandatory pooling of all COVID-19-related knowledge are also waived to, to enable our tool, our countries actually manufacture some of these vaccines. So these are the things we need. We also need investment, public financing to support some of this infrastructure that are already ailing in the region. And then, of course, we need more supplies, these vaccines, to be able to take care of the people. So really, these are the few things that we really needed the EU uh, to do. I have, we, we have also had uh, the outcome of um, uh, the meeting between the EU and the, uh, the AU that uh, just finished last week. And there are very many promises. Uh, they want to invest more, like about 150 billion euros in the continent, and also to supply about 450 million vaccines by probably middle of this year, and also to allow about six African countries to start manufacturing these vaccines. Since the 2014 election of the right-wing government of Narendra Modi in India, the labor movement in the country has been under severe attack. In a recent webinar organized by the Trades Union Congress in the UK, the General Secretary of the TUC, Francis O'Grady, interviewed a prominent Indian labor activist about the situation. Our final speaker, last but definitely not least, is Gautam Modi, who is, uh, I believe uh, you were a, a former uh, trade union organizer, officer in a, a metalworking factory, and you are now uh, the General Secretary of India's new trade union initiative. This is an initiative, an organization that unites unions and workers from across both the formal and the informal sectors. And I know that you're fresh from a year-long struggle to fight and win for farm workers. So over to you, Gautam. Greetings from India, greetings from the NTUI. This month seven, will be 70 years when we elected our first government, five years after we won independence. That was considered then an extraordinary achievement for a country 
as poor and as divided as ours. And today we're faced actually with the annihilation of that very democracy we struggled for nearly a century for and have spent 70 years trying to build. We face an attack on every kind of right and basic human rights, so the right to freedom of speech, the right to freedom of religion, the right to association. In 2019, the far-right Hindu majoritarian BJP came back to government with a complete majority of parliamentary majority of its own. Days after they came back, they virtually wrote down our Minimum Wage Act, creating a floor wage below the minimum wage. In September 2020, in the space of four days, four parliamentary days, having expelled virtually all opposition MPs from parliament, the BJP implemented three laws that govern farming in the country, which would effectively disband local farmer markets, pass on the unequivocal right for large corporates to buy farm produce, and take over land holdings of middle and small farmers, not just rendering them without their livelihoods, but throwing off farm labor in the tens of millions from those farms. Having done this in the second batch of those two days, they brought in what they call the labor codes on industrial relations, on health and safety, and social security, virtually writing down everything that we had achieved. It's perhaps instructive in our history that we won our right to form trade unions under British rule in 1926. And 100 years down the road, or almost 100 years down the road, we virtually lost our right to form trade unions. Importantly, what we've lost which was the big victory of the decade of the 1920s, both in Britain and here and elsewhere in the world, is the civil immunity from trade union action that we've enjoyed. That's something that's gone out of the window. We've always had a very degraded right to strike. We've lost that completely. Farmers from in and around the hinterland of Delhi, especially the Punjab, did stand up and fight. It was a concentrated fight from one region of one community of farmers that was able to build solidarity across the country and bring to bear the solidarity of the working class movement. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week our top stories section can be divided into two parts. Those stories we were tracking before Russia invaded Ukraine and those after. Early in the week, we were celebrating victories like the one that Haitian workers have been literally dying for in the past weeks, a 54% increase in that country's minimum wage. And we were preparing for events like the Global Day of Solidarity with Colombian workers threatened with assassination because of their union activism. Since the invasion, our top story section has little that isn't Ukraine-related. We have statements from Ukrainian and Russian unions from the Global Union Federations, the International Trade Union Confederation, and from national unions around the globe and in many languages. On a personal and organizational note, we at Labor Start are keeping our 18 comrades who live and work in Ukraine in our thoughts. 
Even as the Russian army rolled into their country, those Labor Start volunteers continued to post union news on our website, including important statements from Ukrainian unions. Stay safe, comrades. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found details of a union victory in the fight for pregnant workers' rights in the United Kingdom, South African sex workers who are organizing for occupational safety, and the huge pay equity victory won this week by the union representing women footballers in the United States. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page and Newswire this week included calls for the protection of media workers from journalists' unions around the world. A quick look at our site makes it clear that Latin America is currently especially dangerous for journalists, with several having been assassinated in just the last week. We also had items about the stabbing of two Toronto public transport workers last week and an announcement by their union that it is launching a national campaign in Canada aimed at ending workplace violence for transit workers. And we had to bring you stories about the three deaths and many injuries that resulted from a factory fire this week in Bangladesh. Our photo of the week is of the announcement by Brazil's CUT, or CUT, that it is creating regional committees across the country. As the union stated in the announcement, the committees are for the purpose of struggle in defense of the working class, for life, and for democracy. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is the American folk singer Joe Glazer and friends. When the union's inspiration through the workers' blood shall run, there can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. Yet what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? But the union makes us strong. They never toiled to work, but without our brain and muscle, not a single wheel could turn. We can break their haughty power, gain our freedom when we learn that the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever, solidarity Greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of armies, magnified a thousandfold. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, for the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. That's it. Labor news you can use. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
Forgiveness 
So you heard uh, at the end of our uh, radio labor feature, you heard the old labor song, Solidarity Forever, in a modern version. And we just finished with Eddie Vedder singing Masters of War and the intensity, the anger, the hatred. I hope that you die lyrics say Eddie Vedder singing uh, Bob Dylan's Masters of War right now what I'm going to do is turn you over to one of our past shows this is the labor and love show where we tell you how it is one person gets a dollar they didn't work for someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get hope you enjoy the show and I'll see you next week Positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THC. T. You want more open mics? Fridays, 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother. work and take a seat at Asiento, a great place to meet friends, have delicious tapas and drinks, and relax with your neighbors. Located at Bryant 21st Street in the Deep Mission, Kitty Corner Block for Mutiny Radio. Come and get a drink during the comedy festival and enjoy happy hour pricing all night long with your festival ticket. A great neighborhood bar. Come take a seat at Asiento. The Roxy Theater is San Francisco's favorite nonprofit art house cinema, bringing you the best, coolest, weirdest, most thought provoking movies of the past, present, and future. Hands down, there is no better way to get your film fix than at this legendary historic theater. Visit www.roxy.com. That's www.roxie.com today for showtimes and tickets. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things.
crops are all in and the peaches are rotten the oranges are packed in the creosote dumps they're flying them back to the mexican border to save all their money Good. then wait back again Good morning, mutineers. This is The Bee, and you're listening to Labor and Love Radio on mutinyradio.fm. done just the same. They've died in the hills, and they've died in the valleys. Some went to heaven without any name. Goodbye to my one goodbye, Rosalita. Adios, me amigo, Jesus. Maria, you won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. All they will call you will be deportee. Some of us are illegal and others not wanted. Our work contracts out and we have to move on. 600 miles to the Mexican border. They chase us like rustlers, like outlaws, like thieves. Goodbye to my one, goodbye, Rosalita. Adios, mi amigo, Jesus, Maria. Fireball of thunder, it shook all the hills. Who are all of these dear friends scattered like dry leaves? The radio said they were just deportees. This is the Labor and Love Show. Welcome to you. Two days past goes eighteen, on, huh? he was waiting for and the bus in his army green sat Washington, down in a Washington. cafe. There gave his order on. to a girl with 
with a bow in her hair. He's a little shy, so she give him a smile. And he said, would you mind sitting down for a while and talking to me? I'm feeling a little alone. She said, I'm off in an hour and I know where we can go.
cage. Maybe a businessman, some high degree thief. May call your doctor, may call your chief. You got to serve somebody. Maybe a young Turk Maybe the head of some big TV network Maybe rich or poor Maybe blind or lame He living in another country Under another name But you, you gotta serve somebody Bobby, hey, you may call me Zimmy. You may call me. 
James there and you know you got to serve somebody good morning everyone this is the B welcome to labor and love radio on mutiny radio and mutiny radio.fm Coming at you this morning from 2781 21st Street in the Meadow Meadow, the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco. This is the show where we tell you like it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, wherever you work, you're probably on the menu and never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor and when I say labor I mean you good morning everybody we had uh, opening set there started out of course with deportees deportees by the highwaymen highwaymen None other than Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christofferson. Um, quite a group there. Johnny Cash singing lead there on Just Deportees. Much more about that in a bit. We had, Then we had Traveling Soldier by the Dixie Chicks about to the fact that every day somewhere American troops are involved in wars. Every day. This is for those soldiers who are out there and also to get them back home. Wars where workers of one class shoot down workers of another class. Thin out the possibility of resistance to capitalism. And last we had Etta James. Queen of the Blues, gotta serve somebody. The Bob Dylan classic reminds us that yes, your indecision, your hesitation, serve someone by just standing around, you're rushing backwards. Okay, now I remarked about that case. We're talking about that case of uh, deportees and. This is the song, of course, 
relates the fact that even though <clears throat> these people have come to United States and worked, you know, they're uncelebrated. No one remembers them. Just barely their names, and other than that, they'll be just deportees. The song was written by Woody Guthrie and popularized by Pete Seeger. Since then, it's been recorded by virtually everybody. Uh, in the certainly in the country and western genre. Um, anyway, a Chicano writer named Tim Z. Hernandez decided that, yeah, that wasn't good enough. He wanted to go and find out who these people were. This is part of a uh, an interview on Latino USA on NPR. Here we go. 32 people on the plane, four Americans, including three crew members and an immigration official, and 28 migrant farm workers. Everyone died that morning, all in the same way. But they were not all treated the same after death. The 28 Mexican field workers on that plane were known as braceros. They had come here at the request of the U.S. government and were headed back to Mexico, but didn't make it. After the crash, only the remains of the four Americans were sent back to their families. The Mexican citizens were buried in a mass grave in California under a tiny plaque that read, 28 Mexican citizens who died in an airplane accident near Kalinga. 28 Mexican citizens. That's all they would call them. And for decades, that's all there was. No one identified the remains of the 28 passengers. No one asked for their families. No one really paid attention until a Mexican-American author came along and it became personal. From NPR and Futuro Media, this is Latino USA. I'm Fernanda Chavarri, guest hosting today's episode, where we go back 70 years to find out the names of those 28 unnamed people and find out how one man made it his life mission to give them names. And to do that, I'm joined by producer Maggie Freeling. Hi, Maggie. Hey, Fernanda. So when you and I found out about this incident that took place 70 years ago, we were talking about how these people were virtually forgotten. They were nameless in death and in the news. But the crash itself, it turns out that more people might know about it than they realize. Goodbye to my one, goodbye, Rosalina. Adios, mi amigos. And it's all because of one song that kept the story alive throughout the decades, a song that has a very long, confusing title. Deportee, parentheses, plane wreck at Los Gatos. And it's sung here by Pete Seeger, a super famous American folk music icon. 600 miles to that Mexico border. But Pete didn't write the song. He just made it famous in the 1950s. Pete's good friend Woody Guthrie wrote it. When Woody heard about the crash on the radio, he felt this strong sense of injustice. So he wrote his feelings down as a poem, and it later became the song. All these friends all scattered like dry leaves. The radio says they are just Who are these friends who are scattered like dried leaves? The radio said they were just deportees. 
These kinds of poems and lyrics were not unusual for Woody Guthrie. He was always sort of a revolutionary. Woody was kind of the embodiment of your quote-unquote everyman in the sense that he lived and worked and wrote and traveled among the people. I'm Nora Guthrie, and I'm Woody Guthrie's daughter. We called Nora to find out why Woody wrote this. There was a very strong similarity between the migrant workers in the 1930s and the Okies in the 1930s. The Okies were farmers in Arkansas, Kansas, Tennessee, and, of course, Oklahoma. They lost their homes during the Dust Bowl and migrated to California. Woody Guthrie was one of these people. When Woody came to California, he was homeless, living in tents and little tin shacks. And so were the Mexican field workers. <laughs> They're kind of all in the same boat. And I think that just instinctively, he connected with their plight. He didn't start out to be political. He started out just being curious. So he would always dig further and further uh, into the news reports. And that was what happened with the plane wreck at Los Gatos. Somewhere along the way, Pete Seeger, who was Woody's friend, got a hold of the poem, set it to music, and started singing it. Then the song got huge. It took on a life of its own and was covered by dozens of musicians. Johnny Cash, Johnny Rodriguez. The crops are all in and the peaches are rotten. Dolly Parton. The oranges are part. Joan Baez. So Bob Dylan. son, Arlo Guthrie. So you have all these super famous all-American music icons singing about Mexican farm workers in the 1940s. And it's really crazy because this song was sung throughout the decades, and yet nobody bothered to find out who these people were. And my father left a lot of songs like this. Sometimes I call them like seeds to be harvested by the next generation. So the, the thing is that he left this song with the question, why weren't the deportees named? These are the words that kept sort of, I kept humming in my head. All they will call you will be deported. All they will call uh, I'm Tim Hernandez, and I'm the author who's been working on this plane wreck at Los Gatos for the last uh, seven years. And the name of your book is? The name of my book is All They Will Call You. So here's where Tim comes in. He's a professor and an author, so he's always sort of digging for stories. One day, Tim was doing research for something unrelated back in 2010 when he came across a newspaper article. And it said 100 people see an airplane fall out of the sky, ship plunge to earth, and, and it was a farm labor accident. So Tim was like, weird, that sounds familiar. And he realized that it was the same story as the one he knew from the song. And the same way that Woody Guthrie was bothered by the injustice decades ago, Tim too wanted resolution for the families of the victims. So Tim set off on a quest. You know, I just let my curiosity sort of pull me, and I began to ask, who is all, and who are they, and what do they call you? And, and that's uh, that's just what kept me going. That was a, a quest that over the years became more and more personal for Tim, as he saw the similarities between his life growing up in the Central Valley and the migrant farm workers who died that day. You know, growing up, the son of migrant farm workers, I saw firsthand the moments where my family 
uh, felt voiceless. And um, and I started to see them play out as I got older, not beyond my family. I'd see them play out in the broader community, you know. Tim put himself in the shoes of these 28 families and thought, this could have been me. This could have been my family. I was born and raised here in California's San Joaquin Valley, the agricultural hub here. Uh, my parents were actually migrant farm workers originally from South Texas and New Mexico. You know, kind of growing up with migrant family, uh, you know, we traveled a lot, quite a bit, working in different fields and different harvests um, throughout the year. And my parents did that pretty much, uh, you know, up until, I don't know, I was about maybe eight or nine. And although Tim's family didn't participate in the Bracero program, they did spend generations working the fields in Texas and California. Farming is America's biggest industry. All such farm jobs, which are tough, dirty, or unpleasant, are generally referred to as stoop labor. The Bracero program, to summarize, was a seasonal worker program that was a sort of amicable agreement between the U.S. and Mexico that went on from the early 40s to the mid-60s. At that time, the U.S. desperately needed workers to pick fruits and vegetables. It isn't easy to find men willing to take on such undesirable kinds of work. Understandably, then, the American farm labor supply falls short and is supplemented by Mexican citizens. So they gave Mexican farm workers temporary permits to come here and do the work. Millions of Mexican workers came and went. When the harvesting season was over and the U.S. government didn't need them anymore, they would send them back by train or fly them by plane. And that morning, that's exactly what was happening. Those 28 migrant workers were flying from San Francisco to El Centro, right on the border with Mexico, in a U.S. government chartered plane. So based on Tim's research and interviews with the families over the years, here's what happened after the crash. Officials recovered as many scattered body parts as they could. Then they formally notified the families of the four Americans and sent them caskets of pieced together remains, some as far as upstate New York. As for the Mexican passengers, the leftover body parts were also put in caskets, but they were not sent back to Mexico. They were buried in that mass grave we mentioned earlier. 14 on one side, 14 on the other, in Fresno, California. So the Mexican passengers' bodies were never repatriated. Some families in Mexico were notified by the Mexican government via letter. Others only heard about it on the radio. It's unclear exactly how each of the families found out, and if they even knew where their loved ones were buried. We reached out to the Mexican government officials at the embassy in D.C., but were denied an interview. Of course, we weren't going to find people working there who were working for the Mexican government 70 years ago, but we wanted to know how the government handled this. An official said via email that today their policy is to help families in Mexico find funeral homes and cremation services in the U.S. and that based on the family's financial need, the Mexican government can help them pay for part of the cost of getting their remains back to Mexico. We also wanted to know how only some of the victims of the crash ended up identified. So to find out, we flew to meet Tim Hernandez in California. This is all cattle territory up here. It's uh, Los Gatos Canyon. It's all ranchers. In fact, Larry's um, family were cattle ranchers up there. They correct. Were... Oh my so, God, did you see the baby cows? I'm sorry. I know. They were the cutest little baby cows. <laughs> did you see the big long horns earlier? Yes. Yeah. We're driving to Colinga about an hour southwest from Fresno with Tim and his friend Larry Hawes. 
Larry's a Harley-riding, leather-vest-wearing white guy. He's sort of Tim's sidekick and an unofficial historian of his own family, the family that owned the property where the plane crashed 70 years ago. It's hard. Every turn looks the same here, unless you know exactly where the crash happened. So then that's what prompted me to want to call, find Larry's the Gaston family, so that I could identify exactly where it happened. Uh, I have to ask, what are we driving through? What is, what is this? This is called the oil patch, and this is the Kalinga oil field. And uh, this is, uh, Kalinga is actually Coline Station A. Oil was actually discovered here. And today, there's a whole bunch of industrial oil derricks covering a huge part of a barren desert area. The plane would have been able to see these oil derricks as it was coming in here this way. And because he had crash-landed that airplane twice before, it, it makes sense that the one could actually, you know, you could surmise from that that he was more than likely looking for a strip of dirt to land on. There's nothing you could do. Crash landed it twice. <laughs> that same exact airplane he had crash landed twice before. Okay, so it wasn't the exact plane, but the kind of plane, a Douglas DC-3, which back in the 30s and 40s was a pretty revolutionary plane. Frank Atkinson, the pilot, was used to flying and crash landing the DC-3. So he thought he could land that plane again, and he might have been able to if all that was wrong was a plane malfunction. But plane wing broke off and it started spinning out of control and throwing people out. We're here? Yeah, we are here. We're going through the barbed wire fence. I'm so short. This barely works. <laughs> This is the actual crash site, and this was where the main bodies were at, and dead people were everywhere, right where we're standing. Larry wasn't born when the plane crashed, but growing up, he heard stories about that day and about how his family raced to the scene to help in any way they could. Larry's mom and his Aunt June were little girls at the time. His Aunt June was nine years old when she saw the wreckage and is the only surviving witness in Larry's family. June was standing, you know, not too far off here looking at and I witnessing all this. June is turning 80 soon, and she still remembers it all in very graphic detail. So we called her to get her account of what happened. We saw bushes with brains hanging on it, and my thought then, as a little girl, that looks like decorating a Christmas tree. It was just all over with these brains. At the time, June didn't realize the impact this would have on her beyond the trauma of witnessing a crash. Do you remember as you got older, learning more about it? I do remember because my mother was following it in the papers. And I remember her shortly after that saying, this has become an international incident because they've buried all of these uh, people together in a mass grave. Then that really occurred to me how really terrible that was, that they were just demeaning these people because they weren't us. By leaving their name off, I finally came to see what an insult it was. Tim also felt like the 28 people who died that day were not treated humanely or equal to the families of the American passengers. So he wanted to right that wrong. Tim felt that these braceros were sort of invisible in life. And then in death, they weren't even given a name. 
in some big dream I might have in the future, maybe put us some kind of a headstone marker with their names on it. So first, he went to the cemetery in Fresno where the mass grave is. He wanted to see the plot. So he asked Carlos Rascón, the cemetery director, to show him. After they walked over and saw the tiny plaque in the back of the cemetery that read 28 Mexican citizens, Tim asked Carlos to see the cemetery's ledger of names. Surely the cemetery would have a record of who was buried there, right? But when Carlos pulled it out of the archives... It just said, you know, uh, Mexican nationals 28 times. At this point, Carlos also wanted to find their names. He wanted to know who was buried in his cemetery. So Carlos joined Tim on his search, which led them to one more place, the Hall of Records in Fresno. That's the place that keeps all birth and death certificates. And it was there that they were finally able to get a list of names. But they quickly realized that list was unreliable. In Mexico, you usually have two last names, your maternal last name and paternal last name, and so many of them were treated as first names. There was somebody with the last name Lara that was turned into a woman named Laura, and many of the names in Spanish were turned into Italian names. So they knew right away this list was botched. The fact that they were misspelled, it kind of maybe shows a little bit of who might have been behind the pin or the books. Sure enough, there had always been a list with the names. But why didn't it make it to the cemetery? I would think that it's just, it was a very sad oversight, I would say. So there they were, with an actual list of names in their hands for the first time, and it was wrong. But then, Carlos remembered that every November, on the Day of the Dead, someone came by to leave flowers at the mass grave. Someone was visiting a loved one. This was Tim's first real clue that these people were not totally forgotten. He wanted to find who that person was. So Tim put out a call on the local paper in Fresno that said, if you or someone you know is related to any of the 28 Mexican passengers who died in that plane crash in 1948, contact me. And someone did. That's coming up after the break. Okay, and uh, we'll take a break here, too. Play the rest of that later in the show. So far, Tim, Tim Hernandez, the Chicano writer, has decided to find out the names of those people and not leave them, this being deportees. Great story. Okay. Some poetry by Jack Kerouac and Steve Allen. I had a slouch hat. I had a slouch hat too one time. The old slouch hat. I just keep walking around, and he keeps walking around with me, around and around that necktie counter we went. When it rained, I wore my old slouch hat. It was a good felt that I uh, had to carry through many rainy days, late fall and early spring. Perhaps it was a rainy day and the house dick might have saw my hat. Each tie on that ring worth six bucks. Brooks Brothers, 60 bucks worth of ties. Slacks with peculiarities. I couldn't even find a pair of slacks I thought it was suitable to wear. 
wrapped one pair around me and pinned it in with a safety pin. <laughs> Pulled up my trousers and went out and looked at myself in the mirror. Oh no, those won't do. And I walked out. Wrapped the slacks around my waist. Took two other pair, went to the mirror, threw them at the salesman. No, those won't do. Good afternoon. And walked out. The slouch hat I got at Harvard Club, Yale Club, Princeton Club, or one of the other Dartmouth Club, University Club. Always barred the yacht club, because it was a little over my kin. Because the doorman knew that only Mr. Astor, Mr. Vanderbilt, and Mr. Whitney belonged. He couldn't say, good morning, Mr. Astor, because he knew I wasn't Mr. Astor. I always figured a way to heel into those other clubs. Not only a member of who's who, but a who's who also have to be a member of who's who in New York in the special clique of who's. <laughs> I'd get in the athletic club many times. Then I'd go up in the billiard room, and I would wander back around the room, hands and back, and every coat rack I backed up against the field for the wallet. One day I walked out of there with 10 wallets. Bellboy looking me over. Pretty soon, a very dignified-looking gentleman come up and buzzed the bellboy. He says, who? And I says, man told me his name while we're drinking at the bar and told me to meet him in this billiard room in the athletic club. I don't see him, so I best I better go. Well, tell me about the old slouch hat. Oh, one of my numerous trips to one of the numerous clubs in New York City. The hat finally was left in the hotel, which I had to leave rather hardly one night, never to return. So the hat was given to the cast-offs of the hotel, which they collect and rummage sells. May now be worn by one of the members of Skid Row, New York City, the Bowery. I seen that hat by moonlight. Yeah. I had a pointed mustache, and I mean pointed, half inch from here. Double-breasted vest and a derby hat and striped trousers, English shoes, black, very pointed. They were Hannah shoes. People on Broadway turn and look at me. The worst is yet to come. I had a pince knee with a long black ribbon to my buttonhole. And I wore a carnation, white or red. Boy, did I look like something. A year later, I got caught. I was dressed differently and everything. But boy, that mustache and that pince necks was really out of this world. I used that outfit six months. Finally had to pack it in because it was too well worn. Pincenay was in a coat I stole. Mustache I grew in the sanitarium while taking one of my numerous drug cures. My mother come to see me, she says, oh no, cut it off. I'm just having a little fun, mother. Took it on the lamb and went to Canada. Late at night, I'm full of morphine and I come down full of goofballs too. This guy had ventriloquist doll and he gave out this Texas Guinan routine. Hello, sucker. We like your money as well as anybody else's. As a matter of fact, the bigger you roll, the more we take you. He used to get everybody interested with the doll and cut out silhouettes, put stripes in your tie. Wound up in his room, gave him a shot of morphine. Out on the highway, I thumbed the ride into Buffalo, and I put the bum on the guy for something to eat. He said, eat in my drugstore. So we went in the back and he had corn on the cob and boiled potatoes. Say, fella, I always hear people talk about morphine. What's it look like? He shows me. He had a key, a cabinet. He had bottles of hundreds, quarter grains, half grains, pen upon, dilated, everything. 
Soon as he tended the customers, I emptied the bottles. Got out of there pretty quick, bought a safety pin and buffalo, and took a shot in the toilet. Come out and saw a fella shaving, his coat hanging there. Hung my own coat and gave his coat a brush with my hand. Felt his wallet, washed my hands, went out and took off with the wallet. So I started out on a shoplifting campaign in Buffalo. It was about 1910. Wasn't very experienced at it. Started out with a top coat and sold it in the taxi cab stand. Next day, I decided to get myself some suits, and I went up and I had a suit box, and I walked about and put the suit box in one of the dressing rooms, looked and fooled in the mirror, went out, and I hawked those two. Next day, like a damn fool, go out to the same store, but I got a newspaper instead of a suit box, thought I'd try a new routine. Two guys kind of watching me. I went in, wrapped myself up, two suits, went in the elevator. Bottom gentleman tapped me on the arm, will you come with me, please? And the county jail, they ate breakfast, you got oatmeal, with one spoonful of molasses. For lunch, stew, mostly bones, graveyard stew. And for supper, dinner at night, beans. And you couldn't smoke. Tampoco es que yo exija Ni tierras ni riquezas Más que estar recibiendo Me gusta regalar Tan solo estoy pidiendo Ojalá comprendiera que estoy desesperada buscando quien se entregue. ¿Cómo me entrego yo?
It's a random set. We had, uh, first of all, Jack Kerouac from an album that he made with uh, Steve Allen, the pianist. Poetry for the Beat Generation. That was Slouch Hat by Jack Kerouac. And then from uh, Jenny Rivera, the late Jenny Rivera, late of... Uh, Born and raised in Long Beach, California. And the bad news this week for her ex, Esteban Loyasa, Loyasa, hope I'm getting that right, who was a pitcher uh, for a while, a very accomplished pitcher, an all-star, started the all-star game for the American League, won 20 games with the Chicago White Sox. Uh was arrested in just across the border here in California with a big catch of uh, cocaine. Uh, he's in a secret room in his house. Then he sang, Ni princesa ni esclava, 
I'm not a princess, but I'm not a slave. Just a woman. And John Fromer there, another late comrade, brother, John Fromer, uh, with We Do the Work. What I want to do now is finish the Deportees uh, documentary. Uh, Tim Z. Hernandez's attempt to find out who those 28 deportees were, the ones who are sung about in the famous Woody Guthrie song. Here we go. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. whose bodies had been buried in a mass grave under a plaque that read 28 Mexican citizens. And not long after Tim put out the call, he got a response. Someone gave me a piece of newspaper and said, look, they're talking about your grandpa's uh, plane crash. This is Jaime Ramirez. We met him in Fresno with Tim. And I started reading it. He said, hey, and I got my computer and I started... Jaime went to his computer and started writing Tim an email. He wrote in Spanish, I know about the accident because that's where my maternal grandfather named Ramon Paredes and my uncle Guadalupe Ramirez Lara were killed. Jaime then included his address. My phone number. And ended with, and, uh, if you need information, just let me know. Anything that you want to know, just yeah. call me. <laughs> what do you need to know? I'm right here. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> and so that was really hopeful. Your email, as short as it was and as quick as it was, it had so much hope inside of it. And so I was excited to, to meet you right away, yeah. And not only is Jaime a surviving family member, but Tim didn't have to go to Mexico. Jaime was right there in Fresno. Jaime owns a restaurant called Ole Frijole, and everyone in Fresno knows the restaurant. Most of the employees there are related to Jaime, and they're descendants of two of the passengers from the plane crash, his uncle and his grandpa. So when he first told me that that was his restaurant, I said, no, I said, you're kidding, because I've been there since I was a kid. You know, I've been going there. I've, yeah. I'm sure I've seen you before. And yeah. that's my restaurant. And I said, yeah, it's legendary. And he said, yeah, looking, it is. You were looking for <laughs> me and I was right there. <laughs> and Jaime was there all along in more than one way. Remember the flowers that someone was putting on the mass grave on Dia de los Muertos? And I said, wow, you know, I wonder who that person is. Later on, I would learn that it, it was, was you. Yeah. Yes, I was in Salinas. It was Jaime. He's the one that was putting flowers on the grave. He was Tim's first found family member. And turns out, he was also Tim's golden ticket. The newspaper that my grandmother kept, and I kept it, I don't know why. So here's what happened. Not long after the crash in 1948, a small Spanish-language newspaper published an article that listed every passenger with the correct spelling of both last names. And it had all the names and where they were from in Mexico, the little towns. 
This was it. Three years of searching, and Tim finally had their names. Independent newspaper in Faro. Very old. It looks like it's a front page, right? Uh, yeah, it is. It is the front page. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's a front page, and in the front page you have the two photos of a priest <laughs> uh, looking over the, the bodies yeah. for the funeral service. On the right side is the column that has all of the names, first, last name, where they're from, the names of their parents or wives if they knew them. Wow. I'm going to try to translate that as beautifully as it is written in Spanish. Mm -hmm. On Saturday, the 31st of January, that just passed, there was a funeral for the 28 compatriots that were chosen by destiny to perish in an unfortunate accident near Colinga, California. Like, just the way that this mm -hmm. is written is super, like, old oh, it's, newspaper. It's very poetic it's really also. really poetic. It's very poetic. In fact, even the, even the um, biblical sort of... Um, Seeing how the Spanish-language paper uh, wrote about the 28 Mexican victims made it even more clear just how differently their deaths were treated and how their remains were handled. 28 families without closure without being able to have a physical place to mourn. And although, yes, most of the families knew how their sons, brothers, and husbands had died, they didn't get to have a funeral or a place to visit their loved one, lay flowers, just grieve. And as any cemetery director would know, Carlos says there is an importance to being able to visit someone's grave. It just, uh, a sense of emptiness, like, wait a minute, you know, it's not just... Uh, some John Doe that got, you know, no family, indigent, nobody knows. There was information, and so it left kind of a blank there, like, wait a minute. You know. So now, with the full names spelled correctly, Tim, Carlos, and Jaime could start the process of making a proper headstone with all the names on it. And they would also travel to Mexico to try and find other families. Tim wanted to tell them that their loved ones were no longer in a nameless mass grave. So the first family Tim wanted to meet was Jaime's. Remember, both his grandfather and great-uncle died in the crash. So Tim and Jaime got on a plane and flew to Guanajuato in central Mexico. They were there on the 67th anniversary of the crash. Jaime set up a meeting with his family. And right at 10.40 a.m., the time when the plane crashed, they had a moment of silence. During the trip, Jaime told Tim a little more about his grandfather and great-uncle. Guadalupe and Ramon grew up in Charco de Pantoja, a farming community in Guanajuato. When they got older, they both owned land and farmed garbanzo beans, wheat, and alfalfa. But their town struggled to get an irrigation system in place. They didn't have the money to get it set up. That's when the idea to go work in the fields in California came up. So they both went back and forth working as braceros and bringing money back to their town. Do you remember stories growing up about them? Yeah. It's my, my, my tío. I still have to say. Era muy contento. Le gustaba andar a caballo. Y, y le gustaba tirar balazos. His uncle liked horse riding and to just like my, shoot up bullets in the air. My decía que iba al pueblo, oía los balazos y decía, es el pelos de lote. Así le llamaban a mi tío porque estaba muy güero. His uncle was so blonde that they called him corn hair, yes. like pelos de lote. 
Jaime's family is split between Fresno, California and Guanajuato. And these are the types of stories that have been keeping his grandfather alive in Jaime's memory. So for Jaime to tell his family, his mother mostly, that her father would no longer be buried under a nameless headstone, it was life-changing. Now we know who the people are. Now we know who their lives are, who their family are. We know how they, how they are in this community. So on September 2nd, 2013, the new headstone was unveiled in the cemetery. These braceros, who were once invisible and forgotten under a mass grave, had their names on a big, beautiful marble headstone. Miguel Negrete Álvarez, Francisco Llamas Durán, Santiago García Elizondo, Rosalío Padilla Estrada, Bernabé López García, Ramón Paredes González, Tomás Aviña de Gracia, Guadalupe Ramírez Lara, Severo Medina Lara. In this moment of having these names carved into stone forever, this is what Tim and Jaime wanted for years. Manuel Calderón Merín, Luis Cuevas Miranda, Martín Razo Navarro, Ignacio Pérez Navarro, Romano Choa Ochoa, Apolonio Ramírez Plasencia, Alberto Carlos Raigosa, Guadalupe Hernández Rodríguez, María Santana Rodríguez, Juan Valenzuela Ruiz, Wenceslao Flores, Wanted in coolleather.com. Fine leather, handcrafted goodsmith, and mission. Check them out. Podcasting.